Okay, we're recording. This is Reese Crothers in the Filmography Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host and my friend Bjorn Olson. Hi, Bjorn. Hello, everybody. Okay, we're back for episode five, Apocalypse Now. I can never remember what episode it is. I'm glad you're keeping track. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping track. And uh, so, okay, good. Apocalypse Now. Man, this finishes up our '70s Coppola with a bang. Yeah, with a big bang. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. And there are three versions now. Well, there's four versions if you count the the legendary five hour uh, work print that apparently yeah. is floating around somewhere. Yeah. Um, but there yeah. are there are three versions that you can actually uh, find easily, and uh, so we've got yeah. the original cut from '79, and then 2001 we have Apocalypse Now Redux, and then in yeah. 2019 the final cut. So. I watched the final cut. You watched all three versions. I watched. I watched all three. I mean, I'd obviously I'd seen the, the theatrical version before, and I saw when it got released. I, I was lucky enough to see Redux in, in the theater, and uh, you know there was an intermission and everything, and uh, and I hadn't seen the final cut yet. So, in, in anticipation of this uh, episode, I, I I watched them all. I watched final cut first, and then. Uh, I watched Redux, Redux because it was like during what's that? You went backwards chronologically. I did. I went backwards. Yep. Um, and I, I Redux. I took I took a couple passes through Redux because you know I was watching it during the work week and only had so many hours to devote to watching to watching the movie. Um, yeah, the and then then I watched. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Then I watched the theatrical cut last because I think it, you know, the most important version of the movie is, is the theatrical cut. Coppola, of course, now he says that his preferred version is the final cut, but I think I think the best version is still remains the theatrical cut. Um, well, I don't know. It's, how it's did the you, one that most people have seen, I think, still. And... Yeah, for sure. Do you do you feel similarly that the theatrical cut is is the best version, or, or or do you like one of the other cuts better? Well, it's funny. I, I saw the, the the theatrical cut. I saw on VHS. That was the first time I saw the movie. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, so it's yeah, still burned in my brain as Apocalypse Now. Like the when I think of Apocalypse Now, I yeah. think of the theatrical cut. But like you, I saw Redux in the theater, so I have a visceral memory of seeing that and. You know, seeing it on the big screen with proper sound is an incredible experience. So I have a real mm-hmm. soft spot for Redux. And then I watched the Final Cut um, just uh, recently. I watched the first two for this for for this purpose. I watched it twice, and um, and I really enjoyed it. Like I I didn't really think about the other cuts so much. And that was one thing I was going to ask you: was how pronounced did you find? the differences between the three cuts? Well, I mean, you know, I, I watched all three of them, you know, kind of in succession over the course of, of a, a week and a half or two weeks or so, because I thought to myself, like, if I'm ever going to do this, if I'm ever going to sit down and watch yeah. cut after cut and compare them and, and try and look at them and figure out the differences, this is going to be the time. I'm either going to do it now or probably never. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it, this is a movie that I get so wrapped up in that um, it's still, to me, like tough to necessarily notice, um, you know, the little differences. And there are little differences, which I, 
I, I knew because well, it's really Coppola episodic, said there right? were. So it's, it, the, it's yeah. more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was, I was, it's like, um, it's the whole movie, no matter which cut you watch, it's like a picaresque. It's like, uh, just a group of people going from place to place and getting in adventures. Um, but the, you know, the, the things that are added and, uh, you, you notice them like there are well, the, the French plantation the, sequence, yeah, of course, the plantation sequence yeah. and the bunny sequence. Yeah. The bunnies and, and the, uh, the, the, the stranded bunnies. And, and then what I, he, a couple had said, you know, I, they made me, whoever it was that was telling him to cut this picture was saying, you know, you need to cut some of these scenes shorter to make the picture shorter. Um, and he did, and he has put that back in, um, uh, for the, for Redux and especially for the final cut, he talks about like how he was so glad to finally have his scenes, the length that he wanted them to be. And, Watching the theatrical cut last, I did definitely notice that. And did it, it feels shorter. I, it it benefits the theatrical cut, like <laughs> even more than I could have uh, imagined. Because after watching the first two cuts and then watching the theatrical cut last, it just like rips through. Like yeah. it is such a fast paced movie. Like and and you are getting used to the sort of semi-leisurely way that it passes through in the, in the first two and takes, takes a bit of its time. Like watching the theatrical, it's just like, they're just, they're just going from place to place and just like shit is happening left, right and center and they can't control anything. And it's just this insane ride. It obviously like kind of slows down a bit in uh, the coda. Um, but uh, I, you definitely notice it. And that's what I like about us I get more of an appreciation um just how like absolutely um you know I, I would just just rips right through and and uh just goes 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 um, how long is that cut is it is it still three hours the theatrical cut yeah it's uh two hours and 24 minutes I believe so it's quite a significant reduction in the running time then from from both yeah. the other cuts I mean it's yeah, like half an hour shorter than the final cut and, and an hour almost shorter than, than Redux. So, because that was the big complaint when Redux came out was that the plantation scene sort of stops the picture dead, mm-hmm. you know? And I think yeah. it's true. It, it, it does slow it down. I mean, what are the benefits of that sequence? I mean, what's interesting is, I mean, you could talk about the fact that the movie, they never say what year they're set in, right? But from the first, mm-hmm. you know, notes of the door song at the beginning, the end, you know, starting a movie with the end, it feels like the end, mm-hmm. of, the end of a war. Um, yeah. The final, the final days at least. And, and at the same time, it feels like it could be any war. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it's Vietnam. Um, it's, it's the end. And I think one of the things about the plantation sequence that's interesting is it seems like the last vestiges of a, of a lost society. Right. So there's something about, mm-hmm. Everywhere they go, it seems to like uh, in the scene when they meet um, Kilgore, Robert Duvall's character. I think he's saying, you know, we, they were mopping up what what an hour ago hadn't even happened yet. So it's like everywhere they go, it mm-hmm. seems to be the end of a battle, the end of something, the end of a whether it's the end yeah. of a dynasty or something in in the 
case of the French plantation. Um, it seemed, I thought it seemed interesting that, to have that, that juxtaposition of civilization against the, the, the sort of the wild of the jungle, you know? Um, but it, but it yeah. slows the movie down. It, it definitely slows it down. It does. Uh, it does. I, 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 I don't think that it stops it dead because I don't think that's possible to do with this movie, but it does. It definitely does slow it down. It, I mean, Redux version is, is my least favorite of the three. Probably yeah. like wouldn't be the first, one that I that I picked up for sure, but it is fascinating. Like, um, I I I I think that the you know it's totally unexpected that this is something that they would run across, and yeah. it you know it's very if you're cutting for time. It's a very easy sequence to to cut out because you know it's like half an hour or something like that, maybe twenty five minutes, and it's self contained. Um, but you can cut it out without yeah. affecting the story. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause it, 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 you cut, they're on the river and then the sequence happens and then you cut it out and then they're back on the river. So yeah. no one would notice. And then nobody did. Um, but I like that, you know, that sort of like expression of that last vestige of colonialism, yeah. which is like the overarching theme of the movie. Cause you don't um, get a lot of it, like politics in this at all. That's why I say it could be any war. And it's like, Absolutely, yeah. you know, it's one of the few, <clears throat> one of the few instances where you might have an idea of why people are fighting. Yeah. And the performances yeah. are really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, like in the, in the French plantation sequence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the performances yeah. in the whole film are incredible, but. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, legendary, legendary, top, top to bottom. Uh, yeah. There's, there's not one false note in, in this movie, really. No, there isn't. And, and and what's interesting, too, is you get performances like Martin Sheen's performance has a depth to it that I don't think is present in any of his other performances. I mean, Badlands is great, mm-hmm. but it's it's the, the, the it's the most incredible I think he's ever been on screen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's I think, you know, um, Coppola definitely saw something in Sheen that he was, you know, a bit of a renegade. Um, but also like he has this kind of strange sort of authoritarian presence. Like once he gets on the, on the, on the PBR boat, um, despite the fact that he is technically supposedly just a passenger, he kind of, kind of takes it over and he's, you know, kind of telling people what to do and, and, uh, yeah, it's his mission, but not determining, his boat, which is interesting, kind of de- determining the fate of everybody on, on the boat. Um, they don't, it's like they, they kind of know it because they're there and they've seen shit in Vietnam and they kind of know that this is, this may, this may be like the last thing that they ever do, but they just do it because they have to. But he, I think and there's like, like a Sheen, death shroud that, that follows him. Like there's something yeah. about him that is yeah. just his death, which is that whole, the whole opening sequence, you know, I mean, we got to talk about the opening sequence. I think, I think it's got the best opening sequence of any film ever. But it's those dissolves. Yeah, right? I, it's it's incredible. Like I, you know, you hear the song comes up and and you see the tree line, and and then you you, you know you see helicopters passing by, and this is all B roll footage apparently. Yeah, um, that was just left over, and he was trying to trying to figure out uh, how to how to begin the picture, and 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 came up with this footage. 
And then you see that napalm explosion and it, it shocks me every time. Like it's absolutely, like it, it just, just like sends a shudder up and down my spine every time just seeing that slow motion fire come up. Yeah. It just like, cause you know, they did that. Yeah. <laughs> like this isn't stock footage. Like this is something that they actually did, but it's like to begin the picture with that, I think it just like puts you right in there and shows you how this is, was a normal experience for, for everyone who was in Vietnam, who experienced Vietnam. And this is, you know, like this is one of the very first films. If it, if it had got released when he hoped it would, it, it probably would have been the very first to, to deal with the aftermath and deal with what happened in, in Vietnam. Um, yeah, you already had deer hunting, and it's obviously. just like, yeah, just that, that shocking explosion of fire. Um, well, I you think know, he uses it, war in a that, different way. Like, it, 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 yeah. whether it's about Vietnam or not, I mean, I think it. one of the last things you hear, one of the last lines of the door song that you hear is all the children are insane, right? And I think mm-hmm. it's a movie about madness. And yeah. it uses war as a metaphor for madness, the way that the taxi driver used the, the taxi cab as a metaphor for loneliness. You know, it's like the whole backdrop of the yeah. movie is madness. And everywhere he goes, he finds madness. And in the opening sequence, we get to be sort of inside Willard's brain and get to experience his particular madness. And I think one of the things that's so incredible is that that opening shot of the jungle on fire, it sort of is the needle drop into where you are in history. It's like the jungle is already on fire. We're not, we're not dealing with the geopolitical, like the beginnings of the war. We're not dealing with, we we don't know where they are in the war. It's just, it's war and war is hell. And it's, this is a Mm -hmm. descent into hell. And when we first meet him, those dissolves, incredible, right? The first image of Martin Sheen, he's upside down. And I think that's significant. Like it starts with his world already upside down and he's in a kind of a madness, right? You see the, as the dissolves take place, the fire that seems to gather around his head, like a crown, it's, it's like his brain is on fire. Um, and that opening sequence without words, like the, the, the dissolves that go from the whirring of the helicopter blades to the whirring of the, of the ceiling fan in his, in Mm -hmm. his, in whatever this apartment is that he's, while he's waiting for his mission to come. Um, I can't think of a of a greater opening sequence in any movie ever that just totally pulled you into the interior of a character. Um, you know, this is absolutely a, this is a guy, a man on fire. You know, yeah. And the fascinating thing about that opening sequence is, like, he is like we know all about how how Sheen was. You know, it was it was uh, filmed. Uh, they shot it during his uh, his breakdown. He, he was he, he was having a breakdown. It was his birthday and uh, he was legitimately intoxicated and legitimately cut his hand open. Yeah. And what I, but an it, incredible although, you know, yeah, it, it's like the, that the realness of that um, is, is like, you know, you add it on to just sort of, uh, you know, the surrealness of what is happening in the beginning of that sequence. Yeah, where you know you're it's out, a shocking out of place, dose of realism time. in the middle of this yeah. impression, and then he cracks open the cracks open the the blinds and realizes he's still in Saigon. Yeah. But what I think is fascinating about that opening sequence is like he's never like that again. Like he, like once they put him in the shower and they cut, yeah, like once that, they give him a mission, <laughs> amazing, right? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's that fantastic smash cut from him being in the shower and yelling and to him hopping off of a of a helicopter. Uh, like he's he you never see him like that again in the entire movie, despite all of the insanity. Like you see him go through a lot of uh, stuff, and 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 when he's you know realizing his mission at the end of, of the film he's at a level of insanity you could argue but you'd never see him like that unstable no. it's, it's it's fascinating that they, they just introduced this character and then you know he steps off the helicopter and and he goes to this to his meeting and he just you know he's, he's all he's all ready to go and, and you know well, like, it's, it's a, um, again about the horrors of war uh he's become oh. a killer and when he doesn't have a target yeah you know, he doesn't exist. So what is that line? Yeah. Like every minute I'm here, I'm getting weaker while Charlie grows stronger in the yeah. bush or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah. he's, he's unhinged. And when we first meet him and again, it's like yeah. his wars are already happened. He, he's already had a tour, gone home and now come back because he can't readjust. So it's like, again, you know, yeah. the end, it's the end. He's, he's already sort of like died. And I think, you know, that, that incredible shot that comes later. Actually, that's something I was going to ask you. In the sequence, in that opening sequence, when when there's all those dissolves in the final cut, and I don't remember if it's in the other cuts. There's a dissolve to Willard uh, at the end of the picture when he's coming out of the swamp. You know, when he's about mm-hmm. to kill Kurtz. Is is that in the is that in the theatrical cut? No. See, I wondered about that. Not that I can. Not that I can remember. No. Because it's almost like it's like that's the moment that he's about to be reborn inside that inside yeah. of the inside of his. It's like the the opening sequences is like a death sequence almost. There's nothing left of the yeah. man, right? We're seeing the yeah. man destroyed, and then the soldier is reborn. Um, and it's not really until he gets to the killing of Kurtz that he he, he becomes whatever he's. He, it's he's a killer, you know. We don't. Yeah. I don't know if we see him kill really in the rest of the picture. He says he doesn't even know how many people he's killed. You know, chef kills. Yeah. There's obviously the he, chef kills. I mean, he does. Movies. He does shoot the woman on the boat. Um, yeah, the mercy. But killer. other than that, like it, it's there's nothing for him to do until you know he gets he gets to Kurtz and the you know the final Kurtz sequence is, is shot so so expression expressionistically that it's like doesn't it's you know that he has has killed the man, but it's you know it's it's not explicitly shown, right? Yeah. And it's not personal the way it is at the end or, but but you're absolutely, yeah, but you're absolutely right that it's, you know, this is like what he's become. And I think, you know, obviously it was, um, something that those who've been to Vietnam and survived it and could, could relate to that, you know, they had become completely dehumanized. Um, but, uh, it, it is like, um, it's it's really like the work that he is focused on, and yeah, even if he, mission. you know, I love even that if, he says even if, like, for his sins they give him the mission for my sin. I wanted a mission, yeah. and for my sins yeah. they gave me one. Yeah, yeah. It's as though like because he's you know he's a, a part of this sort of like completely covert um, element of of, uh, of of the military and. You know, he, it's as if he doesn't exist. I mean, they talk about so much about this doesn't exist and that doesn't exist. Um, yeah, and it's not a liberty to discuss just, if it even did happen, if such a mission yeah, even did exist. And it just, 
the you know that just means that he doesn't exist right so it's yeah. like even if he doesn't you know isn't successful in what he is uh meant to do to exterminate kurt like he it's just the mission itself that really is is the thing like he could he, he could very easily have have become a colby at the end um yeah, that's because, something like, Colby. Okay, let's let's pause for a second there. Colby, Scott Glenn's character. Is uh-huh. is he is there a difference in the different cuts with his, is is there more to Colby and not any of the other cuts aside from the final cut? Not really. Um cuz it seems to me yeah, like he just it, sort of disappears. They introduce him. Yeah. And then he and then Yeah. They don't do anything with him. He doesn't really say doesn't really say anything, but he's there and and you know, he gets recognized and there's that uh, one moment you know, where, yeah, Martin Sheen walks past him and says Colby, but yeah, but then yeah. there's no, when, when, when they cut off uh, chef's head first, I thought that was Colby's head. Right. Cause I was waiting for something to yeah. happen with this Colby guy is maybe that's just because it's yeah. Scott Glenn and I'm thinking Scott Glenn's too big of a, an actor to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I thought too. Like distracting. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, you're right. I didn't remember, uh, him like you know doing research for this and i didn't remember him from my previous watches and Mm -hmm. so i was like you know looking out for him and it is kind of surprising that nothing really happens with him and maybe you could consider that a flaw in the picture because they talk about him more than he actually exists it feels like something was still cut out there it feels like there should have been some sort of reckoning with that character but we're jumping ahead of ourselves a little bit that's my fault sorry when we getting to the ending of the picture but one of the things going back to the to the opening of the picture that's so fascinating too is there's a lot of exposition there's emotional mm-hmm. exposition like everything to do with the helicopters and the jungle and the fire is like it's all telling us about the internal world of Willard right but then we get to the great mm-hmm. scene where the story really begins which is the scene of him getting his mission and there's a lot yeah. of exposition there right we have to explain who Kurtz is and it's so important because when you think of Apocalypse Now and you remember the poster, it's like, it's Brando, right? And just like The Godfather, Brando's in the picture, you know, only a little bit. And I think on the commentary for uh, Redux, when I did see that, it was, um, Coppola said, you know, the the challenge was how to keep Kurtz alive through the course of the picture. And so the brilliant uh, solution is, is the file, right? And so we get introduced to the file on Kurtz in that, in that mission sequence and we hear his voice. And so I think Coppola explained it like he was giving little slices of Brando to create the anticipation in the audience for when they would finally see him because he's only in it for really that, that final sequence. You have to feel yeah. his presence through the whole movie. And so that file that they give him, the brilliant thing about I think about the screenplay is that it, it breaks up our time as we get, we get to know the file little bit by little bit by little bit as we go down the river. And every time we mm-hmm. do, it's like Brando sort of, his presence is there again. And it's a really smart way of making him feel like he's in the whole movie, even though he's not, but we have so many other things in that opening sequence. Like we got to talk about the performance by GD Spradlin, right? So back from Godfather part two, where he was Senator, Senator Geary, I think was his name. Um, Yeah. And so he is, he is so, it's so fun to watch him in this, in this part. A little differently because you don't yeah. you don't hate him the way you had to hate the senator in Godfather too, right? You know, so yeah. you, can, you can you get to enjoy him and 
the way he talks, like the, it sounds like the words are just rolling out from the back of his throat. You know, each word is yeah. like, yeah, it's just almost like it's whistled or something. He's, he's so fun. And that I heard that he like kept adding bits to increase his role. So like when he's doing the whole thing with the, the food, like that's not in the script. You know, yeah. He passes the shrimp and no. he says, um, if you eat this, you'll never have to prove your bravery to me again. Or <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, yeah, that was added in. And I, I mean, he's like, the, it's per, he's perfectly cast because, you know, he, he is like this kind of older Southern figure. And he seems exactly like the type of guy that you would get a mission from, like not the type of military guy that you would see out in the shit, like a, a you know, rubber oh, ball kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah. Well, like like but, he was a uh, like convincing just, senator. He's he's a really convincing general. Yeah, yeah. Like he has he has this gravitas to him in a way, but he also kind of has this folksiness to him too. So it's like it's kind of the perfect combination. Yeah, and then you got Harrison Ford in another sort of hatchet man role, like he he had in uh, yeah. the conversation. The difference now, though, is yeah. in between the conversation and. Apocalypse Now is Star Wars has come out, so now he's a movie star. Yeah, and it's yeah. not a movie star role. I mean, he was he wasn't he wasn't a movie star when he got cast in the movie. <laughs> like right. he was still an unknown, like because it took so much time to make. And when he was like, I'm sure he was working on Star Wars. I mean, the timeline is so strange because of like the amount of time that it took to make both both movies. Um, but, uh, of course it's only one, one scene. So how, how, how much time did they really need him for? But it is funny because like when he was cast, Star Wars did not, had not been released. And and by the time this movie came out, like people were absolutely dying for more Harrison Ford content. They wanted Indiana Jones. They just didn't know it yet. Yeah, exactly. But I love, um, you know, you don't, you really don't see this in movies. Even, you know, really great films by really great directors, you don't see touches like his constant clearing his throat yeah, I was and say, over his words. That's and like his cookies and in conversation. Like that. You know, yeah. that, that added, yeah. that little something that makes him more human. Yeah. Like just having to clear your yeah, throat, I mean, he seems nervous. Like he, he gave it an obvi- extra dimension. Uh, yeah, an obvious nervousness about it because like he knows he's telling, like military hierarchy is, uh, you know, so drilled into you um, when you're in the armed forces, and he knows what he's telling Kurtz to do. He knows he's telling Kurtz to go assassinate a high-ranking officer. Yeah, and and he, he one knows of the greatest of all time. Or that is, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but he's so he's so good. He was such a he's such a great character actor, and that's why I love the Harrison Ford that period in the '80s when yeah. he was in those like. I mean, they were great leading man parts, but they weren't movie star parts like um, Mosquito yeah. Coast and Presumed Innocent and, yeah. um, you know, Witness. Like that, Witness, yeah. That's that. That's the Harrison Ford that I love the most. And I find that in, yeah. the little, in a little glimpse in the conversation and a little glimpse in Apocalypse Now, you see the character actor, Harrison Ford, and that mm-hmm. he, he's just, yeah. he, he's so believable uh, when he, you know, he's so credible in all of his performances. So it's kind of neat to get him yeah. in a, in a little supporting role here. And, you know, I think he's great in the scene, but the other guy, I forget <clears throat> Jerry is the character's name. I forget the name of the actor. Yeah. Who I don't think was really an Jerry actor. Zeismer. Was the, no, he's the assistant director. 
Is he was, was he, the one who's just sort of his eyes are there the whole the whole scene? Yeah, and he just looks over and he, yeah. the one who says you know terminate with extreme prejudice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What a well, what a powerful I, he, presence. I mean, I'm sure like Coppola took one look at the guy and he was like, I have to put you in this <laughs> movie somehow because because he's so like you know he just doesn't look like a regular person like he has you know he's these big eyes and and um and he has you know, the gravitas cropped gray hair yeah for sure there's something about and his then, eyes that are haunted they tell you everything whatever's yeah. under the surface in the scene is coming from his his presence yeah and and you don't nobody tells you who he is you can you know yeah, all they say is have you ever seen this man before <laughs> it's like no yeah. he's obviously yeah. CIA yeah Exactly. But it, it's like, I love that element to it where it's just like, you know, uh, this, this is all above any of us. This is above like the highest ranking military officials that you could, you can deal with because there is a man, you know, dressed in a, like a shirt and tie and a, a loose tie. Yeah. And it seems like he is controlling this whole thing. Like he has the last word. Yeah. Exterminate with extreme prejudice. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's his, it was his me- it. it's his mission. You know what's interesting is when yeah. when when he's also in that moment. That's the moment that he passes Kurtz a cigarette. Remember when when Kurtz walks in the yeah. room, the first thing that Harrison Ford says is, "Would you like a cigarette?" And he smokes like a chimney through the whole picture, but he says no. Yeah. Right? It's like it's interesting because yeah. he's like he's he's been shocked awake by that cold shower, gets put in front of these yeah. guys. I love that right before he goes to accept the mission, he says, what are the charges? Right. And he's like, am I in trouble? Yeah. And it's like, no, you're getting yeah. a mission. Um, and so he goes in there and yeah. at first he, he doesn't take the cigarette because he's not really himself. You know, he's like, he's not relaxed. And then by the time they tell him what they want him to do, terminate, he says, he doesn't yeah. say terminate the command. He says, they, they say, we want you to terminate Kurtz's command. He says, terminate the Colonel. Yeah. And so it's clear that it's an assassination, yeah. not just a removal. And, and, yeah, exactly. and then, and then it's, it's that guy, Jerry, who says, you know, terminate with extreme presence, then passes in the cigarette and then he takes it and lights it. And it's like, at that moment, we're seeing the real Kurt, we're seeing the real Willard again. And, yeah. and what a, so what a great sequence where we get a mission. Cause this is a movie that really we could say is like an anti-story. It doesn't have a lot of plot. These, it's interesting that you can cut out sequences of it and remove them whole yeah. without affecting the, the structure of the picture because it's just a series of episodes. It's just a, it's a going down yeah. the river picture, right? The story it, is, it, it, you know, we it, here's it, this mission, it, and then the mission isn't. It's like another yeah. hour, two hours later that the mission yeah. even begins, right? So it's funny. It's kind of like Patton in that way. That Patton, yeah. you know, he goes goes from, you know, place to place and does thing, one thing here and get in trouble there and blah, blah, blah. Um, Patton doesn't have a mission that he has to accomplish, but it, it does have that, like, I guess that's, you know, one of the uh, ways that Coppola really looks at, you know, um, looks sort of at the military and, and understands story the military. Units, right? Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. Like, this is, this is what you do. You just go from this place to this place and you do what you're, you're told to do because you have to. You have no choice. And it's like they also kind of work almost like a, an Agatha Christie mystery or something where it's like, yeah, you know, it's each each episode leads to the next episode in the sense that you're just you're going through a conspiracy chain and an Agatha Christie thing. Mm-hmm. And here it's like 
it's looser because all they're saying is pick up information along the way. He doesn't really do that. He just has these yeah. episodes. Um, yeah. But, but they're in, a, they're links in a chain and some of them can be cut. I mean, like I was just thinking the, the tiger sequence, that would be really easy to cut. Um, mm-hmm. because it doesn't affect the story. There, there really is no story. There's just, there's just this mission. And then there are these episodes. So yeah. it's like, but, but what's interesting to me too, is the episodes in and of themselves, again, each one of them is a sort of descent into madness, right? Like the, the, we get to the first real next episode is Kilgore. So we got Bobby mm-hmm. Duval as this cavalry commander. What do they say? Uh, they traded their horses for choppers, you know? So we get the sense that there's yeah. these, these old cowboys, you know, but they're also surfers, which is the yeah. surf, the surfing element of the movie is, is kind of bizarre, but it's like, obviously it's John Milius. So, you know, the guy who made big yeah. Wednesday, yeah, exactly. Right. So you get the sense that this is yeah. one of his preoccupations that just bled into the script. Yeah. Right. Um, but it gives yeah. it gives the movie some of its humor. I mean, there's not there's hardly anything as funny in the movie as the the scene when after they steal the surfboard from from Kilgore, the the choppers flying around playing that recording. You know, it was a good board and yeah. I liked it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's really yeah. funny. But I yeah. love Robert Duvall are- from the second that he shows up. Right, he just he, his presence is so commanding and he's from he's another Godfather alum. So we've had G D Spradlin, we've got Brando. We've yeah. got Robert Duvall. So there's that, that family troop aspect that just reminds you a little bit. This is from the director of The Godfather. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And also, you know, I mean, we've, you know, uh, uh, not made it explicit, but this is another theme, few themes that run through Coppola's work is that you know, both Willard and Kilgore are these lone male figures. Um, the, the 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 male iconoclast figure, which runs through his work, and you've got two of them right off the bat here, um, Willard especially and obviously, but Kilgore as well, because there's like there's nobody this type of we've seen you know this overtly macho kind of over the top uh, figure portrayed in military movies, like especially like in the 40s and 50s hundreds and hundreds of times, but never, never in this way, never like this, never in, in sort of a, a more um, modernist context. Well, and he's clearly, I think Kilgore's insane too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he, his thing about, you know, the a six foot peak and, you know, his line, Charlie don't surf. And like, he's, he's totally disassociated from like the reality of what he's doing yeah. and he loves war. Yeah. Right. So he's a, he's like almost a parody when he says, you know, someday I love that. I love the way he says, he goes, someday this war is going to end. And he says it like, sadly, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and, yeah. and like, he's a, he, he is a product of war. Um, and, yeah. and just like the line, just like the line in that song, again, all the children are insane and all these characters are the children of war. Um, his character, yeah. I don't think would be out of place in Dr. Strangelove. He's almost like right. so so broad, <laughs> totally. right? Yeah, um, he's a sati- but in, in, in another in another way, he's kind of like the most centered of of a lot of the, a lot of the characters because he's he knows not exactly what he's doing. Yeah, he's not tortured. He's like he knows that the the U.S. Army is there to destroy things. They're there to wipe out people. Like and he and loves the smell not, of napalm in the morning. You know, he's an yeah, agent. Yeah, exactly, that. and he's. He, he he's not uh, he's not hiding that that's what he's there to do and that he's fine with it and that he you know he like believes certain people are inferior and certain political systems are inferior and and 
So, you know, he's almost, you know, one of the most sane people there. I mean, his, his methods. Well, and he doesn't insane, have the but, death shroud uh, around him. One thing that's interesting is yeah, he's the only absolutely, guy. Yeah. Remember Sheen says uh, yeah. he was that golden boy or whatever that you could tell wouldn't even get a scratch yeah. on him. So he's got this like yeah. light around him that, that he's like, yeah. he's going to walk through the raindrops. And, and, yeah, exactly. but meanwhile, everybody else on that boat, it's like death is waiting for them. Yeah. I don't well, think Lance gets killed, like, right? But everybody else does. N- no, no. But in terms of, you know, like the technical aspects of the picture, like that whole sequence, especially just being able to have like Duval stand up in the middle of the chaos and he doesn't flinch when stuff explodes. Yeah. Like I get that this is, there are sound design and special effects elements to this, but things still move around and, and well, it's like, chaos. That whole sequence is, is orchestrated yeah. chaos. And like every time I watch it, I'm just, like gobsmacked at how they pulled it off. It obviously took a really long time to do. It, it looks like it's, it's the real war, right? I mean, it, he really did yeah, conjure absolutely. up the chaos of battle yeah. or, or the absurdity yeah. of, of it. Because in the middle of it, like, you've got yeah, his cameo, right? Which is fantastic. His, yeah, his little exactly. bit, keep running, well, pretend you're shooting. It's him and uh, Storaro and uh, Tavalera. Oh, is that all three of them? Yeah. Wow, but he's he's the only one who who speaks. But it's yeah, that's it's so funny. It's like like you're fighting, like you're fighting. <laughs> it's a it's and he looks cool. I mean, he, yeah, he he looks like he's he he's in the you know like he's he's gone uh, like he's in the wild. But it's great, yeah. Storaro. We got to talk about Storaro. We've had yeah. we've had a, I think we're talking about elements that remain consistent throughout his filmography, and I think from The Godfather on there is a classical sort of element that's not there in the earlier movies. Like Dementia 13 has some classical elements, but, but, but you know, Mm -hmm. you're a big boy now definitely doesn't. And and then from the Godfather, there's a stately sort of measured, like almost literary uh, classical element. And it's there in, in Godfather. It's there in conversation. It's there in Godfather too. And then interestingly enough, apocalypse is so chaotic and so crazy. And there's so many stories about it being so chaotic. And yet the movie, it, it moves, it's composed. It's got that stately rhythm and, and look to Mm -hmm. it. And again, it has, we've got a new cinematographer because it's Gordy Willis on the, on the Godfather pictures, Bill Butler on the conversation. And yet, there is a consistency yeah. through all films that you've got this strong side source lighting, warm hues, you know, a lot of browns, mm-hmm. a, a lot of black, but, and, and then obviously a lot of shadow, right? But nobody, not even the Godfather uses shadow the way that Storaro uses shadow in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Ab- right? The absolutely. shadows in Apocalypse Now swallow the characters up. I mean, especially when we get yeah. to the Kurtz compound where it becomes like, yeah. you know, you're saying expressionistic. I think the shadows become really expressionistic in that sequence. It's almost like yeah. a German picture from the twenties or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Storaro well, brings mean, Storaro, a wider color palette and he's filming something. He like, kind of does everything. Yeah. He, he, he's got, he's got, a, he's got more colors. We've got colors because of the, all the smoke and all the, and the fact yeah. that it's daylight and, and all the fire in the jungle, the oranges and the greens. It's a different yeah. color palette than the Godfather. But I would say that aesthetically, it still looks like it's from the maker of The Godfather. It still has that that mm-hmm. composed. The camera moves a little bit more freely. You know, he, it's not yeah. quite the dispassionate camera that he said. You know, he was playing yeah. around with in the conversation and then extending into Godfather too. But yeah. you know, and there's not a lot of like 
when it gets impressionistic, just the camera still, it's not like the camera's swirling around too much or, or the moves are really pronounced. There's a couple of scenes where like the, there's some, you know, um, pronounced pans, you know, things like that. But, mm-hmm. but a lot of it's natural and naturalistic. And a lot of it is, is just grounded in yeah. a sort of like, uh, natural lighting. But, but the, but the shadows and the dissolves, I think the way that the imagery, the Strauss imagery sort of like the, the way that the images will fit together, almost like a jigsaw piece. And then we're seeing that the moment they fit together is mid dissolve, you know? Um, and the way mm-hmm. that the images, the overlapping of images add to each other and give each other, the juxtaposition gives more context, you know, like, like, in the, for example, yeah. the fires that become, you know, flames around the head of Martin Sheen, like, Mm-hmm. it's a it's a more expansive well, one one thing i think that's that's really fascinating that i'm sure straro had a huge hand in is that you often see uh, clouds of smoke different clouds of smoke acting as scene transitions like a scene yeah. will start shrouded in smoke and it's you know you've you've gone from one place to another and it's, it's like it's almost like a like he's doing like a classical uh, white or something like yeah. that, but it's just smoke. You'll see smoke at the beginning of the screen and it clears and then somebody has dialogue and that sort of thing. And even um, transitions within scenes um, and the, you know, the colors of that, like uh, definitely not meant to look like uh, something stuff that occurs in nature. Like this is man made no, psychedelic. Stuff. Right? I mean, you know, you, when he's like purple yeah, haze, you see like, yeah, exactly. Like you see the blackest, of black smoke and the grayest of gray smoke and things that, you know, would have to look that way, but also just, you know, like oranges and reds and, and, and that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. That surrealistic element. And I think the smoke starts, starts to feel like the haze of madness. Like the, the smoke seems to be not just in their external world, but it's like creeping up inside of them. Yeah. You know, again, that death shroud, there's this, the, 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 the interesting thing about, a movie that just goes down the river is it's like, there's an inevitability about where they're being taken and yet they don't mm-hmm. talk about it. It's like when, when um, chief yeah. says, where are we going? And Willard says, oh, that's classified. It's like, yeah, you know, the destination, uh, actually there's a great line when they're in the bunny sequence, I think where they go to the little outpost there and, and um, in order for uh, Lawrence Fishburne to buy something, he has to, say what his destination is. And he's like, I don't have a destination. Yeah. I don't have a destination. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a great line. Yeah. Cause these p- characters have no destination. They have no future. And yet they, they don't, yeah. they're not consciously aware of it. It's like they're announcing it without being consciously aware of it. So it's a great irony. And then, and then they're, they're just moving down closer and closer to death and death itself is represented, I think in twofold, right? It's like the, the messenger of death, which is Charlie she- or Martin Sheen, who's going to deliver death to the ultimate figure of death which is, mm-hmm. you know, our, our, our big demon at the end of the story, you know, our Kurtz, our monster. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, so yeah. it's, you know, it's that, that, that photography is increasingly impressionistic in the yeah. movie, but that's something that we didn't really have in the Godfather. And so it's a new, it's a yeah. new element and it's obviously a much bigger canvas, right? Because it's the, the war mm-hmm. and you have like the mafia yeah. as the backdrop <clears throat> is one thing, but, but that's just much smaller subject matter than, than war. And so you have this, you have, yeah. you know, you have all, you have the jungle, you have the trees, you have the water, you have, you have fire, you have all this elemental stuff. It's almost like later day Oliver Stone, you know, the way he would use fire in say, mm-hmm. uh, heaven and earth, not, not, not the Oliver Stone mm-hmm. of platoon, but the late mid nineties Oliver Stone. Um, 
And yeah. then, I, and, and talking and, about uh, Vietnam yeah. movies, right? Talking about Platoon. I mean, I'm going to ask you, like, when you think of Vietnam movies, do you think of Apocalypse Now as like the 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 great, or or what's where does it fit in for you with other Vietnam movies? Yeah, I mean, it's like it's the uh, the example by which all others shall be judged. I don't think it, it will ever be equal um, in terms of movies about Vietnam and movies that take place in Vietnam about, about the war. I think it covers all the bases. I mean, there are, you know, full metal jacket, platoon, great movies, but not, not on the same level. I don't think like, this, yeah, this, I think, this I think really, it transcends the others. It, 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 it covers so much ground and it just is kind of this, Again, because Coppola at this point in time was just, he obviously had a lot of money to work with. He talked about how he had too much money to work with for the movie, but he was like, it was the, just a perfect storm of a filmmaker who had, uh, an intellectual filmmaker who had big ideas and was also a commercial film, filmmaker who could do whatever he wanted. And that's, you know, writ large in this, in this picture, you see like all the experience and uh, it's, it's the kind of movie that like every war movie uh, you have to consider like the morality of it. It's depiction of war inherently immoral. Well, that's like, the question, is, right? Cause they say, is there such a thing as yeah. an anti-war movie? Like, yeah, which exactly. Now is, like, but the, all the, war movies are pro-war movies. They're exciting. The sequences that you see in this film of people dying are some of the most exciting sequences that have ever been captured on film. And so it's, it's, I think it's part and parcel of, of what Coppola is doing with this movie is he's trying to get people to grapple with that. And it's, it's really is fascinating at how soon this was after Vietnam. I mean, Vietnam was such a, uh, you know, like a, a, a flashpoint, uh, politically and culturally, you know, in the United States, and they had, people have just been dealing with it for almost two decades. Um, so it's not like this was something that was happen- happening contemporaneously while he was making Apocalypse Now. But it's still but, fresh. Like for so him, it's still fresh. Exactly. Yeah. People watched and it on television, like, so they it's like there was a continuing yeah. narrative. It's like the the yeah. the 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 cinema life of the Vietnam War story. It's it it was yeah. contemporaneous because it was on TV, but but then the cynicism of that crept in. I think in with the films from the Deer Hunter on, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that wouldn't have been present and in maybe the television. This was like the only time that this could have been done because the trauma was there, but it hadn't really dug in to people yet it, the way that it did in the eighties and and be, and beyond. Yeah, like it because was, of movies was, like this, was, I think. Yeah really they yeah. they really sort of shone a different light on what why Vietnam wasn't World War 2 you know it was horrific yeah right and and yeah. morally cloudy and you know obviously you had <clears throat> the protests scene would have been also part of the media at the same time that like say you know the the television coverage was happening um <clears throat> so i don't mm-hmm. think it's not like it, it's not like it's not like apocalypse now had a new idea when it said the war is terrible but it didn't it doesn't have the like you're not rooting for willard to go kill somebody it's it's a horrible thing 
and yeah, it's a, it's a horrible sequence. I mean, the 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 juxtaposition of the killing of the cow, you know, it's like it's horrible. Like you feel yeah traumatized <laughs> just by watching it. Um, it's not a yeah. movie where killing is exciting, or where where the killing is like you don't, you know, in Saving Private Ryan, there's still a lot of like rah rah to to the combat, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah. Even even uh, but, Thin Red Line has that lyricism to it that that almost seems yeah. like war is beautiful. Despite, Absolutely, right? But this one yeah. is just like it's ugly. It's hell. It's grotesque. It's it's. But he like he he kind of walked both sides of that line because of like really just you know the uh, the, like the, the Kilgore sequences. Yeah, exactly. Like and just you know like uh, people getting shot off bridges and, and stuff like that. And, and, you know, you have one of the more horrific things that happens in the, in the film is, is, is the man laying on the ground, um, holding his guts in oh, with the, and with then, the pot lid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also like played for last in a, in a way and not in like a, um, superficial, like, you know, it, haha, isn't this man laying on the ground kind of funny? Like, just no, it, it is played for laughs because he... it's juxtaposed with, with yeah. Kilgore finding out that there's a surfer, there's a famous surfer coming. So he's like giving the guy yeah. the canteen, but he's, yeah. he's, it's, it's like, you know, he's saying any, yeah. any guy who can fight with his guts hanging out, you know, deserves to drink from yeah. my canteen. Like, he's, it's a real yeah. sort of demonstration. And then, but he's not, he doesn't even give a shit, but he pulls the canteen away because as soon as he finds out about the surfer, he's more excited about yeah. that. So it, it is sort of, yeah. I think it is funny. It's funny in that catch 22 kind of way. Yeah, the absurd, absurd I mean, it, comedy. I guess you can say that you know the only way to really get people to 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 look at at the effects of of war is to like if you if you made a serious essay film about you know how terrible war is, well nobody's going to watch it. Unfortunately, I mean intellectuals will watch it, but you're not going to get the same um, you know cultural penetration that you would in a movie that has exciting action sequences that take place in war. Well, you have but, to be selling tickets you know, be, to something other than just a statement that war is bad because it's like, we, yeah. we already know that. So it's like, yeah, in order for it to be a moving experience, there has to be something we don't know. I think what's, what's great again about apocalypse now is let's say war is the backdrop, but it's not, it's not about war. It's about madness. And I think war is just yeah. the greatest expression of madness, right? War is, war is yeah. madness. And, and it's like the total lack of humanity that is necessary to wage war, right? And like drop napalm mm-hmm. and, and murder and kill. And I mean, even like, even a guy like the character, like clean is supposed to be just like a kid, you know, he, when he kills that Vietnamese woman when she's going for her dog. I mean, it's like, that's madness, right? Um, I'm glad that you said uh, that you brought that you uh, used the, the, the phrase lack of humanity, because I think it's one of the most fascinating things about this movie is um, how, you know, something horrific happens, something terrible happens, and then something like fun or interesting or wacky happens. Yeah. Like there are so many sequences in this movie where, you know, somebody goes through something insane and then there is a moment of humanity afterwards. One of my, favorite uh parts of the picture like uh, uh, just an incredible sequence is the is the uso sequence yeah with with the 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 bunnies the performance like that is that is one of the most perfect 
like set pieces in any movie ever. It's so incredibly well done. What I love is it in the, the is it in the theatrical cut? Yeah, it's in it's in all three cuts. Like you, there are, there's the extra stuff with the, the stranded bunnies is in, in Redux, but it's in it's in all three. Um, but I love uh, just how it um, just in the middle of nowhere, like they don't expect it, right? They yeah. just, they just come it's across. It's almost like the, a mirage the, the, that appears in the middle of yeah. the desert. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I just love so like, crazy. how well that sequence is composed from, from like dealing with the, uh, you know, dealing with trying to get more fuel and, and yeah. like, it's, you know, it's like this market in the middle of nowhere kind of thing. It's again, it's insane, right? Like have, putting those playboy bunnies in front of all those crazy soldiers, yeah. like the, the raging, Ab- you know, testosterone. Absolutely. Like it's just like, I love that sequence because it just shows just, um, like how, in in a way, it wasn't a serious thing for anybody. <laughs> like yeah. it was just like, why are we here? This doesn't make any sense. And you know, obviously, you know, the USO has been going on, uh, you know, throughout every every war, every American war that, that there is. But and it still goes on today. But um, it. It's so like the light. Well, it's it's the juxtaposition of two two completely different parts of our of humanity. This this you know to create something to to make something to to you know they put on a show. It's entertainment, right? So to entertain, yeah, and then to destroy, which is the war. It's like they're there to kill, and they're going to take a moment out to be entertained. So it's like it's yeah. like the best and worst of humanity on display. Not not the the Playboy Bunny sequence is the best of humanity, but I just mean that impulse to to create, to entertain, to to bring joy. Um, that's the best of humanity, and the impulse yeah. to destroy, to kill, is the worst of humanity. You know, so you've got this bizarre contradiction in the middle of nowhere. You know, in the jungle, um, and yeah. and then it's it's it's. I mean, I think what's it's that that uh, paradox is what's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, and it's also, it's also this element of sexuality that you, yeah. that doesn't really exist in the, in the rest of the film because That's true. it's a jolt of like sex, the women yeah. are, are shot in like so flatteringly, like they look perfect yeah. and, and, you know, they have their outfits and they're all like vaguely military outfits and they have toy guns and stuff like that. And they all look insanely hot <laughs> and you can, you can, you understand why, um, it, it that, everybody goes crazy and the show doesn't last. Like it makes, it makes perfect sense. I love Bill Graham as the promoter. Yeah. And I, I love that. Like one of the, it feels like a Hunter S Thompson story. Noticed. What's that? It feels like a Hunter S Thompson story. That yes, sequence. Exactly. It's like fear and loathing. The little, the one US of the little show. touches that I, I noticed this time around is like the way that they dance, the way that the women dance is sort of like they're doing go-go style dancing. Yeah. They're not doing, like disco style dancing. It's a little thing, but I really appreciated it because <laughs> of when the movie is supposed to be taking place, yeah. that's how they would have danced. They would have danced in that style. And I, I like that he has like a flare in his pocket because this has obviously happened before. <laughs> yeah. like, it, it's the sequence, like the, the stranded bunny sequence, um, 
it's probably my least favorite sequence. I don't remember in, what happens in know, the stranded. So what? What do they cut out? What's the stuff? That's they're they're up river and it's it's raining like crazy, and it's in it's in it's just in Redux and it's raining like crazy in the, the like uh, I don't like they're they're out of fuel, so um, Willard uh, exchanges some of their extra fuel for uh, some time with the bunnies, and basically you have. Uh, it's basically Chef and um, uh, Lance are kind of they're each interacting with with bunnies with and so is this Colleen Camp is one of the one of the bunnies because I noticed yeah. that Colleen Camp's name in Final Cut and I was like she seems like a you know a more prominent actor than would just be yeah. a bunny in the background like so is she's yeah. got a scene yeah so she's she's with uh, I believe that she's the one with Chef, and she has some dialogue, and, and it's like it, it's not it's not the best scene in the picture. It's you know it's it's inherently misogynistic because basically it's like okay, so you can uh, you can basically fuck these women who are just doing a job, um, and and they'll they'll be completely fine with it. It's, that's just what they do because they are women who yeah, appear they have no in agency, Playboy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's not the best scene. <laughs> so it's, a, it's it's it was you know, a good it's cut. interesting. It's, it was good to cut it out. Yeah, it's it's a little odd. It doesn't quite work, but it's also it does again. It's one of those scenes in the picture that uh, has that element of humanity to it. That it's it's not just shit exploding and falling out of the sky and stuff like that. Well, it's interesting too because the Playboy um, thing is a, is a real sixties fixture you know so it's again it's one of those vestiges of the past it feels like yeah yeah for sure yeah i mean the you know jeff is is like absolutely mad for one of these women because she's the playmate of the year and and that was you know that was a huge thing culturally yeah right back then these aren't just random women I, i like that's one of the funny things about it is that like i mean two of the women like in real life are actual playboy models oh were they um but within within the context of the film it's like these were actual like women that would have been relatively famous at the time and it's like hey let's go to vietnam (laughs) like like, all right fine whatever better than having to hang out with bob hope yeah (laughs) exactly yeah but it's funny so so okay you can cut that sequence out i mean and yeah. then, so I forget what ha- what sequence follows the that compound. But as we get as we get closer to Kurtz again, you know, like these characters, we have the terrible scene where Chef kills the Vietnamese woman. Um, mm-hmm. You have well that that scene where they come across that boat and uh, they kill everybody and they they find the dog. Like in that's the last sequence, I would say in the final cut version, that is like. So there's it's interesting because it's almost exactly halfway through. It's at about ninety minutes, and it's where you know I didn't see it in the theater, but if they put an intermission in it, this is where you would put the intermission. Right. And there's there's that sequence, and then it goes black for a little while, and then um, and then it goes they're they're back on the river, and everything after that sequence, it's it's like this total transition, like everything after that sequence is the descent into hell. Yeah. Like it's the, there, it really splits the picture into two halves. And then you really see like, and in, in, in especially it's 
uh, real, most noticeable in, in Final Cut because it's it, um, uh, really like right halfway through. Like the second half is this is the descent where things really start to to go awry. People start to die. Characters that you've gotten to know start to die, and of course, you know they eventually uh, reach their destination. Let me ask and you just before we get to the that happen there. Before we get to their destination, because I think that's you know that sequence is is like the heart of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. This I want to ask you about the score and the final cut. The the mm-hmm. score that electro almost almost like you know it's it's like almost industrial. Uh, in its, its in its minimalism, um, yeah. I wonder like is it as pronounced in the other versions? Was 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 it the same score? Because if you know how he, in in the Outsiders, like he he changed the music, which had a real to me mm-hmm. impact on the whole movie. Um, and and as I was watching it this time, I didn't remember the score being so. You know, it's almost like Blade Runner. <laughs> it's 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 yeah. It's the synthesized, you know, industrial sounding score, and it was really mm-hmm. pronounced. I really enjoy. I, I mean, I really liked it. It gave it that kind of like that dread um, feeling. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that it is. I mean, it the sound is obviously mixed differently in uh, final the final cut version. I mean, that um, electronic score ex- definitely exists. In, in the other versions, but I think you're right that it, it is um, felt more pronounced, uh, but more, that, more of a focus. Yeah, I didn't know if that was just my memory that I just hadn't really paid as much attention to it. You know, no, I, I think you're right. Yeah. So, so then we get, you know, when we finally get to the to the to the destination, when they finally get to the Kurtz compound. I mean, one of the things that's so great is you're expecting to be confronted with with Marlon Brando. But first, you get confronted mm-hmm. with Dennis Hopper, and yeah. this performance—I mean, the, again, the lore of the movie, how much Brando hated Dennis Hopper, and you know, um, right? <laughs> what a character, right? Like, what a great character, and it gives yeah. the movie that you've just lost some people. So we've lost, like, when we lose Chief, that's sort of a shocking thing with the Arrow, you know? Um, yeah, but but we get a new character and Dennis Hopper, I think he injects the last part of the movie with a, with a lot of energy and, and some humor and, you know, again, Absolutely. the madness, right. He's clearly gone insane. Yeah. And, and, yeah. but he, he's so, he's so great. I find I, it's like one of my favorite Hopper performances. And, and I think it's yeah. such a welcome addition to the movie at that point in time. Cause the movie's gotten very dour and very, very, you know, there you're right. You were saying before, like how there would be these humanity moments, like stealing the surfboard, you know, it's like, they're almost like kids, like mm-hmm. going for a joy ride. Um, and then the movie gets more and more serious. And then Dennis Hopper shows up and it's like absurd, right? Like he's just like, you know, what, well, it, where has he been dropped in from history? I mean, he's just such an incredible. Like, the first thing that he says is it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, and, like, and nothing no, is. No, it's not. It's not all right. But it's like, it's, it's, it's so funny that he says that because it's like, oh, okay, maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be all right. Well, there's a part of him, that character that, you know, finally, when he says like, I'm out of here, there's a part of that character that knows that this seems crazy, like, and and knows that it's crazy. There's a part of him that's like traumatized and like, uh, I got to get out of here. But the other part of him is like, you know, he's a great man. Right. And like, he's almost like Brando's pet, you know, Brando's throws some shit at him. Like you would throw a dog that was shitting in the corner, you know, like he just, he treats, I think he calls him a mutt even. 
And, and, yeah. you know, you can see that he's just like this yappy dog that like nips at Brando's heels. Um, yeah. But again, somebody who's, who had to bear witness to the insanity, right. As, as the photojournalist, as the eyes, mm-hmm. he's just sort of reminds us that this is, this is nuts. This is crazy because the whole movie's been crazy. Well, we need something, somebody to see. He's almost like one of the characters from Alice in Wonderland or something that you meet along the way that just sort of gets you ready to meet the, the queen. Right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, in a weird way, I think that he probably feels safe where he is because he, however he got there, like they're in Cambodia and like he would have had to travel a similar path probably than, um, you know, Willard and, and, uh, and the boat. And he would have had to have gone past people like throwing arrows and spears at him as well. Who knows? He's had his own sort of journey into the heart of darkness. Exactly. And he's not where he's supposed to be, but he's like all of a sudden, you know, in this, uh, in this compound and, you know, people are uh, following Kurt uh, as though he's, you know, this leader of this makeshift guerrilla army, but it looks like, you know, people are getting fed and, and, and and they're getting water. (laughs) It seems like he's, at least that that is happening. And he still has his cameras. So that's all he cares about. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that Kurtz lets him take pictures of the madness. Yeah. Yeah. But Kurtz also that's seems true. pretty yeah. at home with the I fact mean, that he's about to be taken out. Right. Like, you know, the, yeah. we've been, we've been hearing about this character for the whole movie. We've been hearing about how crazy he is. One of the things about the movie, yeah. I think is it doesn't, doesn't quite go far enough you know, to me, like when you hear the, him on the tape about the snail on the edge of a razor and blah, 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 yeah. he, he sounds unhinged, but he doesn't seem that much crazier than anything else we see in the movie. But when you get there, he's like, you're looking at the heads, right? You, you see the heads? It's like, yeah, yeah. There, there are chopped off heads and there are people hanging from the yeah. trees. And like, obviously this is a different level of hell. Um, yeah. But I mean, it, it's like, you can just imagine the smell, right? I mean, this is the kind of movie yeah, rotting that corpses like... And, you, you can just even from the earliest scenes, the, the, the smell are they're on screen. Like you, you smell the smell of the napalm. You can smell the yeah. smell of like uh, the surf and dirt and, and the smell of what it might smell like on the boat with like a bunch of dudes who haven't had a bath. In, in, I'm sure you the know, boat was who knows how long. Yeah, exactly. But it's also like, I think like, because he has, you know, all these bodies just hanging from, I mean, bodies hanging from uh, trees and uh, heads everywhere and all that kind of stuff. And like freshly killed bodies yeah. as well, obviously. Um, there's, we don't know the exact story behind that. Part of it is, you know, obviously those that is used to scare any uh, invaders away. And also part of it, I think, is Kurt showing like to whom we don't know because you know, well, it, there's a sense of ritual maybe he, and sacrifice, and like the way that yeah, you know, well, you he, get up to that sequence with the cows. He's showing the violence of of what he has been through, and what he like. This is this is what you have done. He's yeah. showing this to the army, um, metaphorically, because again, like it's he does. You know, we he's already had Colby try and come after him, and he's probably expecting Kurt or a person like Kurt or a person like Willard to come after him eventually. He doesn't know exactly when and where this is going to happen, but he's, you know, he's showing the bodies and, 
and also like is it actually him who's doing this who's, who's putting up you know these these death shrouds or is it just you know the people who are there the followers the, um you know the indigenous people that that are are there with him are you know but it is like a way of showing like this is the violence that you created and it's it's right here it's rotting in front of you it's physically uh, manifesting this, death Right? Yeah. Like it's like you hear the dead don't get buried here. The dead get put on. Yeah, display. exactly. Yeah. Like you can blow somebody to smithereens and pretend that, you know, they never existed or, you know, you can chop somebody's head off and show it to everybody and say, this is what you've done. Right. And, and throughout the whole picture, they've been able to leave death and destruction behind. They keep moving on from it and here they can't move on. This yeah. is the last stop. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. But Brando, so again, what's interesting here is I mean, Brando, we've been teased through the whole movie. Finally, he shows up and, you know, he does seem totally unhinged and unsound and crazy. Um, but yeah. like his speeches in The Godfather, you know, he totally commands the screen. And then it's interesting because yeah. I guess it's the shadows that he seems to come in and out of. Like he's like this giant lizard that's like just in the mouth of the cave that seems to poke its head out. He's yeah. he's he's enveloped in shadow and darkness. And I guess a lot of that was to hide the fact that he had put on so much weight, you know, the actor, but yeah. it fits in with yeah. the rest of the movie, right? Like the shadows and yeah. the dark are just always threatening to, to circle and, you know, encroach yeah. and, and then envelop. And so he, he yeah. emerges from shadow. And when he does emerge, like when he emerges with his face painted or when he shows up to give, to throw chef's head on, on, uh, on Martin Sheen's lap. I mean, these horrific sort of moments when you finally see him, he, it is shocking and his size is shocking. I mean, you know, even yeah. in the Godfather, he was playing an older man. He, he looked a little heavy, but, yeah. but, but here, you know, with the shaved head and, uh, you know, the, just sort of the massive, he looks like he's been cut out of stone, you know, and his hands, yeah, his hands are like these big yeah. meat hooks. Right. And you, like you never really see him, in full no. like he there's never there's no real like medium shots of brando just standing but he's terrifying like <laughs> he like is. he's he's just this massive figure and the look on his face like this is you know this is why he is you know one of our one of our greatest actors he um just the, the way that he just stares down the camera yeah um and it's shown so briefly, but it's absolutely terrifying and you have no idea what he's going to do. Well, when his face um, is in close up and it's like half in shadow, what's amazing is like yeah. every part of his face, he want to watch it. It's like the, the slightest yeah. sort of facial expression is his face is a landscape, you know, and his voice is mm -hmm. so great. And, you know, I think the dialogue is good and, 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 but the way that he moves in and out of the shadow with his, just with his face, it's like, because we're, because we can't see him because we don't get a medium shot. It's like we never, you know, we're always, we're always like looking, you know, it's like you lean forward, you're, you're trying to see more, you want more of them, um, which is, I think, uh, an accomplishment of the movie. Yeah. And it's also interesting yeah. that the, the, the movie is like very philosophical, I think, through the whole picture. And then when you get to the character of, of Kurtz, he's supposed to be like the grand philosopher of Madden. If it's a movie about madness, he's the ultimate preacher of madness. Um, and, and when we get to him, you know, he takes, he takes, he puts Willard in, in a cage and then he lets him out. You know, it's, it's yeah. a weird thing where it's like, he's accepted the fact that this guy's here to kill him. He has things he wants him to know first. You know, he's like, 
I want whoever yeah. would to terminate my command to go back and explain to my son, you know, what I became and why. Yeah. And will you do this for me, Willard? So it's like, he's not going anywhere. He, I don't even know why he puts him in the cage in the first place if he's just going to let him out, but, but he does. And, you know, Willard's given like free reign to just move around. And then it's amazing. Cause he like, even though he's welcomed into the, the compound, he still sort of like breaks in when he goes to kill him, you know, he comes out of that mm-hmm. swamp and mud. Um, that's one of the great shots yeah. in cinema history. I think Martin. Sheen. Oh, it's, it's so wild. I don't know. Like he just comes straight out of mud with his eyes open. Like, primordial <laughs> rebirth stuff. right the killer he that's the moment yeah. that he's reborn yeah. as the killer comes out of that like yeah. almost like he's just been baptized yeah. and he's ready yeah. for the kill and then the killing <clears throat> the killing of kurtz uh you know when we're looking back at coppola's filmography i would say the baptism sequ- sequence baptism sequence in godfather one is a great example of of taking two sequences and cross-cutting to give the juxtaposition mm-hmm. to give more suspense, right? Because we're only seeing like mm-hmm. the moments leading up to the thing, and then and then and then we cut away right before we get delivered the thing, you know. So it's like each swing of the axe or whatever that, right? <clears throat> as the cow mm-hmm. is being killed and Kurtz is being killed, like the the juxtaposition of the two images are stronger than they would be even by themselves. And it's a great another great cross cut sequence, you know, very climactic, very exciting sequence horrible sequence i found myself looking away like i I didn't want to see the cow being killed you know it's like yeah absolutely you don't see you don't see chunks of flesh being cut out of kurtz you you see it being cut out of the calf and it's it's traumatizing to see i think um you know i wouldn't choose to go to the abattoir for a night's entertainment um yeah but but what a sequence right i mean like that's final that's the final madness right the killing of kurtz and it's uh it's harrowing and i mean ending with the horror the horror the horror yeah you know it's like it really is i mean it's funny like apocalypse now you could say is a horror movie yeah you know it's just yeah absolutely it's it's a different kind of it's a psychological horror it's a you know but it's because i think really when you're dealing with madness you're dealing with something that's that's a horror yeah and those words are are really wisely chosen i think that's like the final sequence, what we're looking at really is um, juxtaposing the impulse of war with ritual and how it is ritual and, and also how we have this uh, innate impulse to kill, um, kill those who are different than us, kill those who we think are different than us, kill those who, who, who don't agree with us. And, you know, as individuals, we all say that this is wrong and, you know, this is, it's immoral and inherently, uh, inherently bad. And, you know, but it still happens. And it, it's whether or not you, like it's, it's, um, well, that's uh, a question. Is it a moral killing? It. You know, because a lot of the killings that What's we that? see, is it a moral yeah. act? The killing of Kurtz, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Kurtz has gone crazy. He's rare. been killing people. He's it's like they're taking yeah. him out for a reason. He's in command of troops, right? Some of the other yeah. killings we've seen, like the killing of the Vietnamese woman, is one that sticks with me because all she's doing is trying to yeah. protect her dog. You know, um, it's yeah. so senseless and absurd and, yeah. and unreal. Um, and so yeah. much of the you know when you're just firing into the jungle blindly, it's like death just seems to not register. Death is all around them. Um, yeah. 
But then the killing of Kurtz is, is the only one that really seems to have a purpose. The whole, I mean, he's been given the mission. That's the mission. Right. And it, and yeah. it's in, and, and, and yet it's like, again, I, I find I'm not really rooting for him to kill him. I always expect Willard to get killed. Um, you know, just because yeah. it seems like nobody <laughs> yeah, could survive this mission, right? Amazing that he, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but in the end, I mean, what do you, you know? I think there's there's nothing really to take away from it, like a, a moral lesson. It's just like war is hell, and if you survive it, you yeah. survive it. Like there's nothing that well, that I, that I don't think he learns anything by the killing of Kurtz. I think that's that's the horror that of, of which he speaks. The horror is that impulse to kill that we can't get out of it. We can't. Like it, you know, and it's a horrible killing. It you know, it's a, it's a slaying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not just an assassination. It's not just like a bullet to the head, you know, yeah. over quick. It's, he slashes them to ribbons. Yeah. I think that Kurt, um, because of, uh, you know, the way that he, um, chose to sort of abandon his conventional military career and, uh, you know, join the green berets or, or, or whatever. And then eventually just like, you know, he keeps removing himself from the conventional armed forces. Um, and I think he just realizes that it's like, it's impossible, you know, to do that to, you can remove yourself, uh, from what you've learned as, as much as possible. And, and to, you know, basically physically place yourself in as, as far into the jungle as you possibly can, but you can never remove yourself from that impulse to kill. And that's, you know, that's what, uh, he, he has, has to deal with. Um, but is it a, is you it know, a catharsis? Like, you know, at the end, after the killing of Kurtz, has he got it out of his system? I mean, it's like, do, is Willard going to be okay? No, <laughs> nobody has it out of their system. That's yeah. the thing. It's like, no, like it's, you know, but I mean, like think uh, about taxi driver, right? Willard. Like yeah. ta- taxi driver, a couple years earlier, you know, is one of those movies that again builds up to this killing, and then and then it's an act of catharsis. Except, you know, you got that great final shot in Taxi Driver, which sort of su- suggests that it's not out of his system. You know, it's still there. Um, so, but in Apocalypse Now, like he's suffering through the whole movie, and then he gets to the end. All he wanted was a mission, and he says at the beginning, you know, and after this, I'd never want another one. So. Mm-hmm. that suggests that there's a change that this changes him. So it's like, is he yeah. ready to be a human again? Has he exhausted the inhumanity of war? Can he go home? You know, it's like he wasn't able to before he says that, you know, he barely said a word to his wife until he said yes to a divorce. Um, you know, yeah. he couldn't function, I guess is the idea. So now that he's completed this, is that the last act of Willard, the madman or, is he a lost cause? Like, will he never go home? I mean, it's interesting because the movie never tells you, you know, what becomes of him. No, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good question. And it's definitely, um, you know, that cathartic uh, element to it is, is certainly a possibility in that because we have this, you know, inherent um, drive to kill other people that you can um, get catharsis from that and you can sort of return to normalcy. Um, I don't know if, if that happens for Willard because uh, it, it, it seems like, you know, him just sailing back down the river is him just sailing back to the beginning. Is he and just all he's waiting ever for another need, mission, you know? It's another mission until he dies, right? Yeah. 
I wonder, because he, again, it's like, it seems like he's already, whatever, whatever humanity he had, he sacrificed a long time ago, probably before the movie began. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so <clears throat> coming to the end of the, of the movie and, you know, probably towards wrapping this up, I mean, where do you place Apocalypse Now then in the filmography? So we talked about, I mean, we've, we've gone through basically, as we go through the seventies, we've gone through just masterpieces, right? But mm-hmm. where does where does this stack up against The Godfather to you? Well, this is this is. Uh, I mean, Apocalypse Now has always been, you know, in in the top tier of my favorite films of all time, and uh, this, that hasn't changed. It's it's my favorite film of Coppola's, and I don't think I'll see a, a rewatching or like it, it's not going to happen. There's, I'm not going to see a, either rewatching or seeing the, the, the stuff that I haven't watched yet. A film supplant this as my favorite couple of films. This is one of my favorite films of all time. It's so rich and, uh, you know, it, despite the fact that it's just this depiction of uh, complete horror, it is such an entertaining film as well. And like I said at the beginning of the, the podcast, talking about how um, like the theatrical version, it, it just moves, moves, moves. It's just, uh, you know, very, very fast paced, exciting and interesting um, all, all the way through. So like, you know, Godfather is great. Conversation uh, is, is a close to second, but uh, I don't think anything beats Apocalypse Now. It's certainly a great film. I mean, great in the, yeah, it's a very good, movie but i mean great in 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 the true definition of great a, a, a big movie uh you know it it i think it's one of these things that the movie is like i said greater than the sum of its parts it seems to be it seems to transcend the the limits of cinema it seems to be bigger than the movies you know it's like yeah and and when you know we'll get into hearts of darkness later on and talk about some of the stuff that happened behind the scenes. I think what was interesting is that we just focused on the movie itself because so often the movie gets overshadowed by the tales of madness in the making of the movie. Um, Part part of that is their own myth-making, you know. Um, Part of that is just the the press coverage and the fact that it was, you know, there were heart attacks and breakdowns and, you know, I think, wasn't there like a typhoon that destroyed the set or something? Like, there, there... Yeah, well, I... It destroyed like huge, huge parts of the set. So uh, stuff had to be rebuilt and um, delayed, delayed filming for uh, almost a year, I think. Wow. Wow. I mean, you could see how in a, in a way it broke him. Uh, I mean, physically, yeah, mentally, you know, I think like he saw, I think he, he's like a shell of himself at the end of the making of the movie. Um, yeah, absolutely. And he never would again, have the powers that he had to make this after, after the Godfathers and the conversation, you know, it seems like he was given whatever he needed to make this movie. And I think he went as yeah. far out, you know, there's that Nietzsche thing about don't look into the abyss. Cause the abyss looks back. I think this is a movie where Coppola looked at the abyss and the abyss looked back, but he got it all on tape. You know, he got it all on film yeah. and, and, and yeah. he accomplishes something that seems like, kind of impossible. And again, if you pull apart the elements that make up the Godfather, uh, make up apocalypse. Now there's a lot of it. Like I said, it's episodic. It, you know, the sequences can be pulled out wholeheartedly without affecting the movie. Like it's so much, so much of it seems like it shouldn't work. Um, and yet it, it, it just, it, it, it seems to walk between the raindrops again it, in the, in that it, you can't apply 
normal criticism against it. Like it just, it's, it's a one of a kind film that, that seems like, you know, by the grace of God, he was able to pull it off because he really was, he was really wrestling with chaos. Um, and, and none of his movies would be as wild as that again. Um, and, you know, I think he goes back to it being, uh, playing it a little bit safer in a lot of the pictures that follow it. And we'll talk about the ones where he doesn't, you know, I think Rumblefish is kind of wild and out there. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I think for me, I have a personal soft spot for the Godfather movies, you know? So to me, Godfather one and two, yeah. I think of it as like just one movie and, and it's probably my favorite movie along with raging bull. Um, but I could, I would still say that apocalypse now is a greater film and maybe, you know, mm-hmm. maybe one, maybe the greatest, one of the greatest It's like that recent poll that came out, you know, the greatest films. I don't know where apocalypse now factored in or if it even did, but it's, I know that if it's not in the top three, uh, the poll invalidates itself, you know? <laughs> well, it's not, I, yeah. Spoiler alert. It's, I think, I, I can't remember, but I want to say it was around, I think it made the top 20, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's we should do an entire episode on this on the sight and sound poll. That would be fun because <laughs> it's just madness, you know. I mean, it was madness when they yeah. replaced Citizen when they knocked Citizen Kane off the top spot because Citizen Kane is again a great yeah. film, right? Um, and when you think about when it was made, you know, it's like it, it, it invented film so much of the film language that would follow. Um, yeah, great film. Yeah. But Apocalypse Now again, one a one of a kind. I, it's a uh, it's an amazing artifact of that '70s period where filmmakers were given carte blanche, um, you know. And and unlike something like Heaven's Gate, I mean, we, you could do an interesting thing on Jimino. You know, Heaven's Gate is part masterpiece, part calamity. I mean, there's no way around it. Even the cr- Criterion cut of it, it's like, you know, it doesn't a lot. So much of it doesn't work. Um, but Apocalypse mm-hmm. Now does. It works. And I think it's just, yeah. you know, it is it continued on all the things that made Coppola great in those earlier 70s pictures. And I think it's like, it's very much a Francis Ford Coppola picture. Um, and you could see that, like, he had to pay a price for it in everything that follows, you know. And so yeah. it's going to be interesting as we move on to the next one. The next one, you know, as we next uh, episode, we'll be focusing on one from the heart. And one yeah. from the heart couldn't be more different than, than apocalypse. Now, I mean, a completely different kind of picture. Um, and again, he would pay the price for, for yeah. making that one. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, to get into. It's, but it also, you know, it's strange that it also kind of shares some aesthetic similarities to apocalypse. Now. I mean, it's like, there is the, uh, you know, hyper unreality of it in, in like the way the sets were constructed and yeah. just the way that it, shot but it's also like this uh kind of travel movie that you go from one place to another and um have a bunch of different experiences but i'm excited to uh talk about it i my one sort of uh last thing that i want to say is you know maybe maybe this gets out into the world and maybe mr coppola listens to this and i want to say like please don't let the original theatrical cut disappear <laughs> the way that sometimes theatrical cuts do when a director says this is uh, my preferred version of the movie you know probably won't but i i hope you know it's, it's possible so let's you know i want that theatrical cut to um still be like the first version of 
this movie that people think of when they when they see it. Well, I bought it on Apple, you know, and it came with all three cuts. And so it was yeah. the Final Cut plus Apocalypse Now, uh, Redux, and the theatrical. But when if you're not watching it on Apple T, if on your Apple TV box or whatever, like I watched it through my Roku or whatever, uh, and so I was just mm-hmm. on the Apple app. You didn't get a choice. the The default is to play the final cut. So that was right. why I watched that cut. And and hearing yeah. you talk about the theatrical cut again, I'm it's like I'm gonna go and rewatch the theatrical cut. I want to I want to refresh myself on that one. And if you think that's the definitive yeah. cut, it's like yeah, then this that's a great argument for maybe not making <laughs> final cut the default. Yeah, I mean it, the the final cut or the theatrical cut rather didn't get the same restoration treatment that oh, yeah. uh, uh, Redux and, and Final Cut do. So it doesn't look quite the same, um, but it's still out there. I mean, you can still get it. And, you you know, when you buy the... It um, come with the other cuts. If you bought the DVD, it's on yeah. there. Yeah. When you buy the Blu-ray, you get everything. Yeah. You, know, you get all three cuts and you get Hearts, Hearts of Darkness and all, all that kind of stuff. But uh, it didn't get the same uh, restoration treatment. I'm Sorry to say, at least I, you know, at least that's what it looks like to me. I haven't done like full research into it. I think you're uh, right. But anyways, that's, that's what I hope is that that will be considered the definitive version of, of the film. I think that's the prevailing sentiment critically is that that still is the superior version. Um, But uh, yeah, that's, that's what I hope is, you know, uh, you can't like heaven's gate is an extreme example. And obviously like the extended, or the you know like original, yeah, like the original version of it, as Chimino intended, is the version to watch. But you can't find the cut version anywhere. No. Like you can't buy it. Um, but you should be able to. Yeah. So I don't know. You should you should have be able to have the mix. I like how when Criterion yeah. put out Brazil, they included the the botched television version, right? Yeah. Which, which was great because yeah. you you could see why it was botched. I mean, I loved watching all yeah. three cuts of of um brazil and again one yeah. of the, it's the choice of alternate cuts is one of the things that i think coppola does really well that that a lot of other filmmakers went and messed with their movies and messed them up you know even his friend lucas yeah you know so yeah but, totally. Cop- but coppola's yeah. cuts i find that coppola's yeah. cuts um we'll get it as we get into each one you know like the cotton club for me is one where he vastly improved it um, and then in, mm-hmm. in the case of Apocalypse Now, I guess it's it's a question of how much you like the uh, the plantation sequence and whether you want to watch the full yeah. version of that or not. Um, yeah. And or whether the the stranded bunny sequence is, is something that you're going to miss in the final cut or the theatrical. Um, you know, yeah. you, but you have those options, and I think it's I think it's great to be able to have the options. All all discs should have multiple versions. And then you get an, I get annoyed Absolutely. when some of them come out like. Now I got to buy Twixt again because you told me that there's a new version right. of Twixt. Yeah. Like, I already had Twixt. You know? <laughs> that'll be well, yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he, I feel like he will tinker with his movies for as long as he's able to. So, yeah. Well, we've we'll at see. least we've got the we've got all three versions on the Blu-ray. So, if anyone's listening to this, yeah. it'd be interesting to know if uh which version they prefer right and you've got the email there for anyone who does hear this and want to get in touch absolutely yeah we're, we will look forward to uh, hearing from any feedback and it's uh the filmography of the podcast at gmail.com uh, and uh, 
yeah, uh, send us uh, send us a note. Okay, and and tell us what you like. Yeah, and come back for the next episode as we dig into one from the heart. So I guess we'll wrap it up Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And thanks for listening. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Reese. Thank you, Bjorn.